Welcome to another exciting episode of The Tax Efficient Investor. Listen in as host Michael Johnston demystifies tax-efficient tactics to help you grow your wealth. We break down complex tax strategies and make them simple to understand and easy to implement. From HSAs to IRAs, 1031s, trusts, and more, we cover it all here on The Tax Efficient Investor. Welcome to the show. I'm Michael Johnston. Joining me today to talk about tax-efficient investing is Mark Hirschberg. Mark is the managing partner and CEO at Topaz Capital Group. Mark, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I really appreciate you. And uh, you guys are an awesome show. And I got to learn a lot from you guys just by watching myself. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this today. Mark, uh, Cadbury Cocoa, weird way to start the show, but they used to have an, an ad. They said the oldest and still the best. And I think I was kind of thinking that applies nicely to 1031. I don't know if it's the oldest, but it's been around forever in terms of tax incentives. And you know, who's to say what is the best? But this is a, a pretty darn good one. Um, so I'm excited to talk about this today because it can save, uh, can potentially save a lot of money for a lot of people. Um, so we're going to get into the weeds, but I'll start, Mark, asking you to give the executive summary or the, the elevator pitch. What's what's a 1031 and why should tax efficient investors care about it? It's great, great, uh, great point. And, and, to, and just to care to piggyback off what you said, I mean, you know, uh, it's, it is one of the most, uh, you know, it's definitely a legacy uh, 1031 deferral tool. Um, and it's one that's used not only at a sophisticated multi-billion dollar family office level, it's used also at the, and that's a misconception, by the way. Um, a lot of folks think it's only for the, you know, these legacy families, multi-generational families. It's, it's not. It's for the, it's for your average everyday investor who's in a deal, um, who's looking to defer taxes. And it is one of the most powerful tools. Um, it's been on the, you know, we're not getting into, you know, tax, you know, tax reform, if you will, um, unless you want to tackle that later. But um, it just at a high level to, you know, to to kind of, you know, why 1031 is so crucial to the industry. And um, and why actually in 2022 and 2023, uh, sorry, 2022 statistically and 2021 rather when most of the transactions were happening um, in the marketplace, um, so many of them were done through the form of a 1031 transaction. Uh, whether it's a sole 1031 complete rollover, if it was a ticket exchange, which we'll get into later, um, which tenants in common uh, exchange um, as well. So uh, we were very uh, active on that front, and the main reason for why uh, for for why people use 1031. Um, is because it essentially allows you to defer the taxes um, until you continue. And as long as you continue to, to roll over your exchange, which means take your, you know, your property that you're selling and move into replacement property um, that is like kind, um, it, which is the common term we, we throw around in the industry, um, which means similar type of property. So tangible uh, land, building, right? Something that's uh, similar to to what you sold, um, then you're able to really take advantage of um, deferring the taxes according to the IRS and allow yourself to enter in at that new basis. In 2024, obviously, um, there is going to be you know more talks on what that reform looks like, um, but for right now, we there there is nothing um, currently you know adversely affecting. Um, or creating headwinds in 2023 on the 1031 side. Yeah. So I like to say, Mark, that the two best times to pay taxes are, are later and never. And you kind of mentioned the 1031 definitely helps you pay taxes later. You can defer it. 
uh, we'll get in a little bit um, when you, this sounds morbid, but when you when you die, you can um, get rid of some of those taxes forever too. So this kind of checks both those boxes that, that any tax-minded investor should be thinking, how do I pay taxes later? And or how do I pay taxes uh, never on this? So Mark, I, I like to ask people, we're going to talk about the, the what and the how of a 1031 exchange. I like to ask too about the why. Whenever there's a tax incentive, it's because we, and I mean, we as a, a society through our elected representatives, we are incentivizing something. So what are we incentivizing here? What's what's the idea? What's the type of behavior that when this was introduced and has it been kept around, what are we trying to incentivize? Sure. So um, we are, what we're trying to incentivize is transactional activity, in my, in, in, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. you know, what, one of the things that I was advocating for, and, and so was our, our big industry giant uh, organization and association nonprofit called NMHC, the National Housing, um, sorry, National Multifamily Housing um, uh, Council. Uh, they were big pushers, and I was part of that legislation, signing that bill with a lot of my, my affiliates, fellow sponsors, industry peers, whatever you want to call them, um, in, in pushing for that. And the reason why we push so hard against the reform is because by, by reforming it, you're affecting the transactional activity. You're adversely mm-hmm. affecting transactional activity, which then will decline. Um, and what will then create is a ripple effect across the economy. Um, you know, housing being one of the focal points of our economy and one of the main parts of what's actually driving a lot of the inflationary issues we're seeing across the nation. But, you know, the most important part about it is to recognize that um, really what it does is it, 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 it disincentivizes people to say, hey, you know what, I want to buy this deal in when a climate when pricing's high um, because it, it doesn't allow me to get the yield I need. But if I yeah. don't pay taxes and I'm able to find the transaction and doesn't, and we'll get into later what doesn't cause boot money, you know, boot issues, um, then it allows us to go ahead and continue to, to develop or improve property. In some cases, people just want to, you know, buy, you know, plain vanilla, uh, you know, new construction, if you will, or brand new product. Um, but, you know, for the most part, it allows people to continue to generate transactions within creates lawyers, more time and accountants and right. So it has a broader effect on the economy. And so that's what we were pushing for saying, guys, let's not just focus on what 1031 is. Let's focus on what 1031 is connected to and correlates to. And, and that was yeah. something we were very afraid of in a time where we were in a past, you know, 12 year extension cycle. And now we're, uh, you know, obviously been in a slow session of sorts, but you know, that was our biggest fear is, this could really cripple the economy um, in ways that the government wasn't recognizing back when they put yeah, it. Yeah, and, and we're seeing that a little bit now with, with interest rates going up as, as high and as fast as they have. That's kind of put a, uh, a damper on the real estate industry. And you're right, it's not just realtors. It has a ripple effect out to lawyers, accountants. There's a lot of economic activity that flows from real estate transaction. Um, so to the extent you can keep that transaction wheel flying, uh, a lot of people benefit. Um, so, so let's talk, Mark, let's get into the taxes now. So let's say you're not doing a 1031. Let's say this world where it doesn't exist, or you don't know about it. You sell a piece of real estate. It's been bought it a long time ago. You've depreciated a bunch of it. You're fortunate. It's gone up in value. You're going to sell it. That's all great, but you're going to get hit with, you kind of, you did a, a nice job and, and something that you published about that there's four kinds of taxes that you're going to pay. Um, if you're fortunate enough to, to sell real estate. At a gain. So help people understand the, the potentially big tax belt they're looking at if they are selling real estate without thinking about a 1031. 
Yeah. So, you know, I would say um, the, the big things you have to think about when not doing a 1031 is, A, do you even have the cash to plug in the debt um, that you're required to, to pay on taxes as well? So everyone always thinks, well, it's my cash that I'm making. It's the cash I'm making from a transaction. That's not the case. Um, 1031 requires you per the, you know, per the IRS requires you and, and consult your own legal counsel. I should preface by saying that first. Um, I'm not an attorney and I'm not advising legal uh, with legal counsel here, rather own operational experience and, and transactional experience. And so from a commercial standpoint, what I've noticed is a lot of folks have that misconception that it's about the cash out, the equity out of your deal. It's not. It's also about your debt. You have to replace that debt um, at the same amount or greater, and you could replace it with cash um, or debt in your new transaction, your up, you know, in your up leg, if you will, right? In your new transaction. So we call it down leg when you sell it, um, and then up leg when you're replacing it, right? So um, with replacement property. So what I would say is it, it's really important to understand that there are um, lots of tax burdens when it comes to the, you know, to a transaction. Now, obviously, the biggest one is where you have a very large, um, you know, debt requirement because most folks. It's hard to stomach for them when they're, you know, whether they inherited a property or bought it a long time ago and didn't it, didn't it expect such appreciation. But now when they're selling it, they have a massive um, uh, tax basis due to the fact that they have, they, they have either so much equity or they have very little equity and they have so much debt because they, they kept refinancing and putting on more and more debt. So what, you have to, what we have to understand is that you need to replace both the debt and the equity. And in certain circumstances, it might just be one or the other, depending on whether you had debt on the transaction or not. But if you do have to replace both, you really, you can't just look at the cash and your equity out of the transaction as what you're replacing. Because if you don't replace it with debt, you're then going to have to take that cash and then put it back in and pay the taxes. So that's something I've noticed um, You know, a lot. There's a huge misconception amongst investors on that front. Um, and another piece I think is worthwhile mentioning, um, and, and noteworthy is when you step into 1031, some, you know, the clock starts ticking. And, um, one of the, one of the, you know, disadvantages is that people think they have the luxury of time and, um, and, and the risks tied to that is that the time factor um, is critically important to the IRS. They're not going to say, well, you know what, they get a two-week extension or a week extension. Yeah. Like, you know, like sometimes, you know, you, you'll you'll file uh, your, your tax with your accountant or back. But we've been, general, you know, we've been honestly very fortunate since COVID in some ways because they kept like, delaying and extending when we were able to file taxes. Um, but that's not the case here on 1031. You know, if, especially if you have a large transaction, you don't want to put it at risk. Um, you, you have to make sure that everything is done in a timely fashion. And then the other critical piece to that equation is the earlier you're talking to the experts in the space, so you're talking to your qualified intermediary, right, which is the person that you put the cap, you know, put the capital with in the transaction that you identify to be the holder of your of, of your proceeds um, and your debt, both your, you know, the entire transaction rather. Um, yeah. And so I, I think it's critically important to understand that there is an element to timing. A, coming in really early and talking to experts, so tax experts, uh, legal experts, um, commercial transactional experts, and so on and so forth, and identifying the deal. And then B, you have to come in also understand that there's timelines associated with the transaction. 
So there's the 45 right. so, period and 980, right? So there is a critical time element to all of this. Yeah, that's a great segue. So let's kind of talk through this, this timeline here. We'll just use a hypothetical investor. Say I've got uh, I've got a property. I'm I'm looking to sell it. I'm going to realize a big. Let's say I'm going to realize a big five million dollar gain. I don't want to pay the depreciation recapture. I don't want to pay the capital gains at the federal level. I'm looking at capital gains at the state level. I'm looking at maybe um, a, a, a net a net income investment tax as well that can really kind of add up here. So I'm selling this property. I want to do a 1031 so that I can kick those taxes down the road or or maybe eliminate them eventually when I pass away and pass this on to the next generation. So talk me through kind of the timeline and the, the milestones of I'm, I'm looking at a sale. I, I haven't done it yet, but what does the process look like from kind of start to finish? So that's a great question. And 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 I want to uh, hopefully I don't do just justice to this because um, it's very comprehensive, very loaded. But Essentially, the the way the process of work, the way it works, is that you you start in the very beginning transaction with, and and if possible, before you even sell the asset, then you know, being the ten thirty one investor from the ten thirty one investor's perspective, make sure that you have a plan in play. Mm -hmm. So before you sell the asset, before the actual closing of you know the closing, you're at the closing table. Before you get there on that closing date, have the right strategy at play. So understand whether you're going to do a reverse or you know whatever your strategy is for a 1031 exchange, make sure you have a plan. That's A. And then B, the way it looks essentially is that once you have that plan, depending on which plan you choose, you need to make sure that right away, right out of the gate, the most important thing is having your, your capital saved in a response, you know, sorry, being held in a responsible place. So you always want to make sure that your qualified intermediary is talking to your accountant, but the qualified intermediary that you're using is a qualified intermediary that could support, um, you know, replace and support and secure your capital. So many times we'll recommend that you go to someone who has, you know, uh, you know, it's insured by a big bank or insured by a big, you know, life insurance company, or, you know, there has to be some sort of insurance tied to the qualified intermediary, intermediary rather, that you're holding, um, that's holding your capital. So that's, I would say the most crucial point. Um, then, you know, once in the early stages of the process, then yeah. once you've done that, you need to make sure that your accountant is corresponding with your qualified intermediary and understanding um, what the what the net effective dollars are that you're at play. So that your net, you know, your net cash and your net debt, you know, whatever the whatever those numbers are, you need to, you need to really understand them because I've had folks come to me saying, "Hey, well, you know, it's." $2 million or $5 million. And the reality is it was seven or $8 million. And so you spent this whole time searching and hunting for a deal, which I'm getting to next this is a perfect segue. You're looking for this deal and you're hunting, you're hunting, you're hunting. And then you realize that once you got there, hey, well, I'm 3 million short on my, on my cash and I'm 2 million short of my debt. And I don't know how to fill that $5 million plug. So that's something really important to understand is really, um, you know, you have to then Get to the point where your qualified intermediary shares the account details with your account, and your account then goes back and confirms the numbers. And then once that happens, then you go to you know then you go start hunting. Um, yep. The clock starts ticking. Forty five days goes uh, starts starts ticking, and you say to yourself, "Okay, I'm here. You know, guys, I'm out of the market. Go wide." Usually is what I recommend because especially in an environment like today, most guys aren't really transactional. Even if they say they are. A lot of guys are dealing with a lot of 
you know, problems in house because of the turbulence we saw in the multifamily industry in the last year, softening rents, higher OPEX. Um, so the the least sophisticated groups are already having a lot of pain, unfortunately. Um, yep. And I want to say the least, but the, of the more the, of the lesser sophisticated groups, you know, sponsors in the industry, um, especially like the more educational syndicators. Unfortunately, a lot of them are in a ton of pain. Um, and so, what I recommend is sponsorship is really, really important. Um, yes, hunt for the deal, talk to brokers, be out there looking at transactions that you want to you want to get into. But the the critical point is being decisive because again. You are on a you're against a time gun, if you will. So you have it right in front of you. You're staring down the barrel. It's 45 days. You'd be shocked. In residential home transactions, it's one thing, but when it comes to commercial transactions, as you know, Michael, it's incredibly uh, uh, time consuming. So yeah. you know, some transactions have taken us six months to complete. Obviously, that's not in the case of 1031, and we don't advise to go into those transactions um, and deals if you have a 1031 because they're time consuming and you could fall out of your framework. And if you fall out of that timetable, then you're, you, you have, you have, you have tons of trouble. So my, my, my recommendation is to be decisive, know which path you want to go to upon the closing. Say, okay, if I want to invest in a triple net uh, DST or uh, you know, or with a sponsor like us that has the alternative to those two conventional options, which is a tick or a sole um, I'm going to get into what that, you know, we'll get into that in a second, but, you know, rolling over with an experienced multifamily sponsor versus, you know, a 10th, you know, triple net or a DST is critical to then decide who is that going to be and who do I want to start talking to at that end without getting too much noise. And what, the one example I'll give, and then I'll turn it over to you, but one example I'll give is like, you ask too many doctors, too many questions, right? So you say, Hey, well, what should I do about this situation that I have? Every broker and every sponsor is going to give you a different answer because they're somewhat, you know, based on their experience, their biases, what have you, you're going to get a different answer. So my yeah. recommendation is not to go too wide. What I've seen be successful is the guys that say, okay, well, I want to have a few options, but I don't want to go too, too wide of my options because then I'm going to get lost in the process, especially in a, in a process that's so, uh, could be so complex and have such a sh short time fuse. Correlated to it. Yep. Yeah, you know, you ask four brokers, you're going to get five different opinions, right? Um, so, <laughs> so you you've talked about, uh, so you, you cast, um, you, you decide what you want to go after. You've got um, to just zoom out a little bit and, and give a little bit of context. You've got from the the date of that sale, you've got 45 days to identify uh, the, the like kind, um, the replacement properties that you're essentially going to uh, swap into. Um, and then, so, so once you've identified those and, and the, the 45 days has elapsed, what's the next, what's the next milestone or, or what happens from there? Let's assume you've hit that deadline. Um, what happens next? Great question. So what, what, what happens next is that your 45 days then expires, right? So you're at the expiration of that 45 days. And then at that point, you have to really, um, understand that you now have the total process from 45 days all the way out is a total of 180 days. So you're at 130, uh, if I'm doing my calculus right, 135 from the time that you yep. close your, your transaction. So at 130, you have 135 days at that point to close on that replacement property. Now, the the key issues that I see, and I'm talking because I, I do, I'm, I'm transacting so much in, with 1031s that 
I see the the main obstacles, the biggest obstacles that are, are most common, if you will. Um, and those are really, uh, really twofold. A is a transaction where the sellers not be pulled into the timeline. That's a huge problem. Um, so you need to make sure the reps and warranties, and again, talk to your lawyer about this, um, but you need to make sure you're holding your seller accountable to the timeline. Because they don't care if it if it is 180 days might mean nothing to them. They might not care if it's closes on day 175 or, or 185. Um, exactly. Actually, point. in fact, sometimes they don't want it to close then. Why? I had a situation where the guy had a tax problem, his own tax burden, if he closed mm -hmm. before the end of the year. So he dragged out the contract to the end of the year. And I saw that in his contract, in the, in, the, in the agreement. And right away, myself and my counsel, the, you know, our, our team of attorneys, they all said, no, 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 no. We need to make sure that you're committing to this timeline. And then what I was getting to in B, which is exactly what you said, which exactly addresses your, what you were talking about, is that you then have to make sure that whatever date you choose, don't let it be the day before the closing. Because there are things that go wrong between the finishing of your due diligence or the finishing of your 45-day ID period, whichever one comes first, which I do recommend having your due diligence finished well before your 45-day period expires, because at that point, you're locked in um, to a large extent to that 135-day period, then you have to close. And so the critical piece that at that point, at that juncture of time is to then tell you to, to remind yourself that you want to allow for just like you want to allow for, um, you know, give an example, budgeting, personal finances, you want to allow for a little bit of time in case, you know, a little bit of cushion of money in case you, you, you overspend that month. The same thing happens in a trans, all the more critical in this transaction, because you have more dollars probably at stake, I've had to guess. And so you want to make sure that you set your closing date well before the expiration of the 135 days once you've passed your 45 day period and that will then allow if some things have to go over you know things go wrong in the process of the closing which things always challenges always present themselves always yeah i've had maybe one out of maybe one or two out of 18 trans you know institutional grade multifamily transactions that went swimmingly and i could say they didn't fall out of the you know the time frame the set date we closed everything else did. And that was only because the seller had to, it was actually beholden to a time that was earlier than a closing date. So they uh, had that incentive in their own, you know, in, the, in, the, in the, uh, their own backs, if you will. Um, yep. So um, what my recommendation on that to that end is really setting it earlier. I usually, usually recommend at least 30 days, um, especially if you're getting towards the end of the year, always look at your calendar, look at legal holidays, People over, yeah, oh, that's overly technical. No, it's not. It's really not. It's it's critical to understand that because if you're going to close at the end of the year and you're down to your last, you know, 20, 30 days at the end of the year and you got to close shortly thereafter, a lot of people, you know, are offline. They checked off. Yeah. They're done. And so, you know, you, you're you going to say, well, don't, what about me? What about me? And the reality is there's hearing another hundred, what about me? The attorney, the accountant, someone in that realm is hearing that from all their other clients. And so the only way to really hedge yourself is to look at the calendar and say, okay, I know I'll be okay, given that I understand my timeline. Um, so that's the other piece, part B to that equation. The, the 45 days and then the 100, 135 days goes uh, goes faster. You, you, you blink, you hear that when you have a kid, uh, you won't believe how fast time goes. Uh, when you have a kid and when you sell real estate, you won't believe how fast 180 days goes. 
Um, so you've kind of, Mark, this has been great. You've been talking a few of the, the mistakes that people make. Um, you know, are there any others, any other big mistakes? You see a lot of these deals. Um, it's complicated. Are, are there any other mistakes that you see investors make over and over again or that, that they should be aware of? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So yes, um, there's there's a bunch. Let me try to just drill out a couple uh, more. Um, another big mistake is um, getting into a transaction, um, understanding that there are transactions that uh, there are many times, let me reframe, there are many times situations where you committed to a certain sponsor, but you didn't arrange, you know, your operating, your JV agreement, your agreement between them, or your, sometimes they use asset management because that's the most, uh, you know, foolproof way to do a 1031 transaction. So you do an asset management agreement tied to the transaction. So that way, it, without getting too complicated, um, it allows for you to to lower your exposure to the, to, you know, to the IRS. So, you know, many times what I'll say is, make sure whoever you're choosing you do all you have your difficult or your whatever conversations um tied to the relationship between you and the sponsor if you're going that route um well ahead of time the same thing happens with a broker if you're buying even a simple triple net deal which is you know obviously what we're encouraging people not to do because we don't see any upside with triple nets or dsts there's zero upside so we're providing the opportunity for investors to actually get upside and when I tell folks, hey, you know, make sure that even in some cases the broker feels like he didn't get his side of the agreement. He never got his agreement. So he's stalling the deal. He's going to say, no, 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 guys, we're not going to close. Like you didn't, you're not paying me my commission. So make sure to air all the iron, all those things out in the beginning. Make sure that you talk, you know, if you're doing a triple net or DSD, which, you know, obviously for obvious reasons, and I'll get into that, why I discourage it um, outside of having no upside. There are a lot of fees. Those are feed up the wazoo. And a lot of guys make a lot of money off those fees. And it's not handily fair to the investor. But without getting into that right now, I would say that, you know, make sure to have those agreements in place early on. So anything tied to any parties associated with your transaction, make sure upfront to have the agreements ironed out and not as a handshake. And I know handshakes come first and agreements second, but you still need to have the second. Uh, you know, the second, uh, you know, uh, box checked off. You need to make sure that you have those agreements in place. They're signed off and they're ironclad according to your attorney and your, and your accountant. So that's important because you, you then mitigate any risk of someone feeling a, a different way when they see the closing and transaction happen. And many times, unfortunately, we're, we're in a world where people will want to get greedy when it gets last minute or people are desperate and candidly, in 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 our business in our industry 1031 people are usually the most desperate because they have a time gun against them they have restrictions that we're talking about here so people you know will sometimes want to take advantage so be careful um you know make sure to have all these conversations then uh then in turn agreements ironed out flushed and signed off by all parties early on ideally before the end of your 45 days expires so that way you have no issues going into your 135. The way you should look at the 135 is the way I tell all my clients and advise all, all, all our investors is make sure, do all your work, even if it's stressful. I don't, you know, I get it. And that's where we're here to help. You know, do it all up front. 
Do it all yeah. in the 45 day period. Cause if things pop up in the 135 and you're not, let's say you're doing a three ID rule and it's, you know, you know, or a 200% rule and, and, and that, that ID, that, that replacement property, the ID, you now can't pursue it. And the other two, you weren't, you weren't even banking on, you just had to put it on your list. Cause you put it on your list. If you did put it on your list. And now all of a sudden you're in a, you're in a precarious position of where you can't even close on that transaction. And then you're, su you're subject and exposed to all that tax. So yeah. that's my recommendation is the earlier you get into conversations with experts and the earlier you then sign your agreements with those experts, the better off you're going to be coming out of the gate. Yeah, you know, Mark, it's, it's interesting hearing you talk about this. I, I tend to encourage people to uh, to, to be more hands-on, to take ownership, to to avoid paying expensive experts when they're managing their 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 money, their portfolio. This is an exception for me. Like this is the 1031. There's just, you know, we've just spent a lot of time talking about all the things that you can screw up here. And and as you kind of mentioned earlier, there's not a lot of gray area. Like the IRS, you, you either get it done before day 45 or you don't. You either get it done by day 180 or, or you don't. You're not gonna get an extension. Um, they're not gonna let you off the hook. So um, there's a lot at stake here. Um, we talked about all the, you know, the, the four taxes you might end up paying earlier. There's a lot at stake. It's easy to screw up. There's a lot of ways you can go wrong. And uh, there's not a whole lot of relief from the IRS if you do. So. You know, this is one area where I, I always encourage people. I just say there's so much you can screw up here. You, you need to work with an expert. You need to work with someone who's done um, a ton of these. So, um, you know, Mark, kind of a, my one of my last questions for you here. Talk through someone's going to sell a property. They're going to have a nice capital gain. They reach out to you. Can it talk through how you'd help that person through, how you'd hold their hand, what that process looks like, what the kind of services that, that you would offer them are? Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, and, and I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, don't, don't, you know, in this case, the more you're spending up front, the more dollars you're spending, you, you will see it in, in multiples. You, you yeah. will, will yield it at some point. It might not be immediate. It might be when you're closing. It might be at the end of the, at the end of that year when you don't see your tax bill, but you don't see that massive tax bill that you would have received otherwise, it, it will pay off. That's yeah, the, one thing. the cost of screwing it up is is huge potentially. It's just huge. right, yeah. And, and there's so many ways to screw it up. Even if you're, even if you're smart and sophisticated, um, there's just so many ways to screw it up. So, um, anyways, tell tell us how you how how you work with folks who come to you um, in that wonderful position of anticipating a big capital gain. Yeah, no, absolutely. So the way most folks come to us in that position is that you know essentially they say to us very early on, usually because we encourage everyone to come to us early on. And we, we say to them, hey, well, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'll share it with you as well. We have a one-page questionnaire that we ask everyone to fill out. And if they don't want to fill it out, they could call one of our team members here at Topaz and have them uh, just, re, just dictate it to them over the phone and we'll record uh, the responses to, the, to those questions. But the critical pieces that in that questionnaire that we have for Topaz 1031 is the importance of understanding your exact scenario. So understanding what you've sold, what you want to buy, understanding the process. So we encourage everyone. My first thing that I, the first thing that I, I, I kick off with and with the conversation is, is tell me more details than less. Uh, treat me like your 1031 shrink is my line always. Um, so tell me everything you're struggling with or you have questions with or you don't even know that you might be presented with down the road. Because the more intel we have, 
the more we're able to now put a, put a plan together and a strategy together to say, we're going to mitigate that risk. So that's the first thing I say is call me your 1031 shrink, treat me like one, more info, the merrier. That's A. B, what I talk about is the benefits and the risks, right? So the benefits is that you're obviously, you know, stepping in, you're, you're working with a seasoned team. So what we do is we, what I explained to them is, is what we do is what we built is that we built a team of experts, right? So I took the legal experts, I took the tax and accounting experts, um, and, and sometimes, you know, and then, and then, you know, the brokerage experts are coming through us, obviously, through our long-term relationships um, that we've been mutually beneficial for years with in the multifamily, especially in the Florida, in the, you know, markets where, where we are concentrated and that's where we focus. Um, so what I do is I, I explain to them the, how the team looks. And then when I explain how the team looks, I say, well, what does your team look like? Do you have an accountant? Do you have a, you know, a, a lawyer that you use for your personal stuff? And then we, what we do right, right away is we put them in touch. We say, hello, here's so-and-so and here's so-and-so from, you know, from the, the investor side to the transactional side on the expert team. We plug it all in. We make sure that the experts on our side are all communicating with each other. That's critical. That's critical because if they're not all in one email chain and all one conference call, like you said very well, there are a million ways to screw up this transaction in time thirty one. And so the miscommunication element could be a could be a you know a very much a cause and a contributor to that issue. So what we do is we say no, take a step back. Let's make sure everyone's on here. Even if it's inundation of information, we'd rather there be more information than something gets falls through the cracks. So what we do is we make a list. You know, we'll share with you the list um, of, of the experts we recommend. You then do your own due diligence, your own research. Um, you could choose from our list of, of experts on, on that side. We also have title companies or non-title companies that are qualified intermediaries that are tied to banks that we recommend as well. And what we do is we say, Here's who we recommend based on your scenario and tell us how you want to proceed. And depending on how, how you want to proceed as a 1031 investor, we then form that team. We generally stick with, we, we choose within, you know, you know, within the experts that we know and they're leading national experts. So we, we qualify them, we qualify them at the gate. So we're not giving you a list or information or contacts that aren't already pre-qualified by us. And then what happens is, that we basically go to that team, we say, okay, what do we need in the time in the time we need it? And we then circle up with the investor, the client, our client, and we say, okay, are you good with this strategy? Are you good with this plan based on your needs? Once they're comfortable, fully comfortable with that plan and that strategy, then we move full steam ahead. And that's where it's critical to have a group like us is because we know how this process works. We've been through it. My lawyers have been through it many more times than I have. The tax guys have been through it many times than I have because that's their that's their expertise, that's their niche, if you will. And so the the critical element here is to get in as quickly as possible to to start that process. And what we have done successfully through technology, actually, is we take your scenario, we plug it in through artificial intelligence. It goes through our pipeline of acquisitions and says, "Well, hey, it spits out an option." And, Hey, I think this transaction based on their needs is most plausible for this scenario, this 10 to 1 scenario. So mm-hmm. we've actually built a pipeline. It's phenomenal. We only put deals in there that we know we could pursue. 
Um, so their transactions are multifamily transactions were multifamily centric, as you can tell from my background uh, behind my screen. Um, that's all we do. And in the state, the great state of Florida, which is landlord friendly, business friendly, of course. Um, so that's where we shine best is we, we don't like to go up against more challenges in this market than we have to. Um, and so ultimately what that brings us to is a point where we're able to then say, okay, we our, our technology and our own knowledge of, of the business, we're recommending X, Y, or Z. Sometimes we only have one app, one option. And so what I'll do in that scenario is I'll say, well, hey, I only have one option in this scenario. However, because of you know our 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 collaborative nature and our reputation in the industry, we are very close friends with leading sponsors in the multifamily world. So if we can't help plug it in for you, I'm going to then advise you to go to X, Y, and Z sponsor who I know is not only extremely reputable and who I trust would trust my own capital, but also someone who could help uh, replace, you know, identify your replacement property. And I know because I bidded with him on the last transaction on that deal, which he now has in the pipeline that he's raising capital for, right? And there's so many scenarios where I know which transactions, especially because we're Florida centric and we're 19 and 80 newer product, we have a, you know, we know all the players that are out there, right? So we say to ourselves, okay, and we know what transactions they're bidding on. So the ones who get awarded the transaction, whether it's off market or on market, doesn't matter. The ones who have the, the you know, that have the ability to close in the timeline in which you're, you, you, you know, what you're in as a 1031 investor, I will then say, well, hey, I'm sorry, I can't place this for you. I can't be, you know, I can't be your, your, you know, I can't allocate your capital and 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 satisfy your transaction for you. But what I can do is I can set up a call and make an email introduction to and 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 advise you through the process. And what I've done in that case is I, you know, I've done it complimentary. I'm not here to to make a business and a profit center off that. That's purely just to help other folk, to help you as the client and to help other sponsors raise capital faster. And in the sponsors, in the client's case, and their own client's perspective, it allows them to move faster and take chips off the table. So everyone wins. It tends to work really well. Um, what it's also done is create cross-pollination. So if they ever have a transaction that we want to look at, um, in our case, they'll give us a for inside look at their transaction for 1031 purposes. So it's a it's a mutually beneficial, very um, collaborative and amiable environment, which I highly recommend uh, to be plugged into. And uh, with that said, there's tons of questions that come along with this process. Um, again, don't think a question is silly. Ask more questions. That it's critical. It's I, I can't explain enough and and emphasize enough how important it is to understand what you're up against when you're in 1031 transaction because everyone thinks it's so simple by looking at the ads online about oh I'm 1031 I help you get it done and your timeline. The reality is most guys don't succeed unless they're really sophisticated. And so that's where that's where you know ourselves and we're not the only one out there. There are some other groups that also have programs that are specifically helping 1031. I wouldn't say they're specifically helping 1031 the way we are, but there are enough sponsors that are qualified and are extremely seasoned and very reputable that also have the tools that they need to get this transaction done and done timely and done well yep. and done, you know, according to their work. So yeah. that's what I recommend from my side. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. You know, I sound like a broken record here, but there's um, we've spent a lot of time probably scaring people off here, talking about everything that can go wrong. You know, that's against the backdrop of there's potentially a, a massive benefit for getting this right. Um, and you know, it's uh, if you've got the right folks in your corner, 
Um, it's not that hard. If you try to, to go the DIY route, um, the good chance you screw something up. But um, there, there's folks out there like Mark who can can help you um, from from ideally you reach out to them before the transaction has closed, uh, well before the transaction uh, has closed, um, and they can kind of guide you guide you all the way through. So. Uh, Mark, that was a great summary of, of how you can help folks. Where can they go to learn more about you or if they want to reach out to you? And we will put a link to that questionnaire you mentioned. I'll make sure we put that in the show notes. But uh, if folks want to learn more about Topaz or reach out to you, where can they do that? Absolutely. So I would highly encourage you to go to our website, Topaz, C-G as in capital group, dot com, Topaz, C as in cat, G as in Gary, dot com or capital group in our case. Um, and 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 check out the 1031 Topaz 1031 tab. It's called 1031 Exchange on our drop-down menu of services. Um, that's where you're going to find uh, everything about our program. I also encourage you to reach out to us either at info i n f o at topazcg.com and Topaz is t o p a z c g dot com and then uh, or 1031 t e n so 10 spelled out 3131 the number three, one numerical number at topazcg.com. And either one of those you'll get, you'll go right to our team. Um, and our, one of our team members is going to respond right away and uh, set up a call immediately. And that's when we're going to say, Hey, in preparation for the call, we'd actually like for you to, to take a look at this questionnaire. You don't have to necessarily fill it out. Just take a look at this questionnaire that we have. So we can have it for conversational purposes when we, when we hop on the call. So that's, that's the important piece. Um, the quicker we get to it, and the quicker you send, you quicker we all respond to each other, the better position that you're going to be in at the end of the day. Uh, great, thanks so much, Mark. The, the 1031 shrink. You should trademark that, by the way. Uh, I, I like that. That's a good way to um, a good way to think of it. In addition to your all your technical knowledge, um, kind of your cool, calm demeanor, um, and, and ability to to help folks out can be really important when going through this process. Um, well, I learned a ton uh, today, today, Mark. This is great. Uh, I love the 1031, uh, the oldest and, and still the best, or still one of the best at least. Um, so I want to thank you for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you, and thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to watching a lot more of these shows and podcasts and uh, honestly continue to learn together as a team and learning from everyone involved. So thank you, Michael, and uh, for putting this out there. And I have to say, not so many resources are out there on 1031 and tax efficient strategies. So um, kudos uh, to you and the team for, for putting this all together. It's it's amazing. And I kind of wish back when I was learning about it, I had something like this. So thank you. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.